0: Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at BuiltByscott by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Winston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is now completely virtual. This amazing operating system that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one powerful package can now be digested from the comfort of your home or personal workspace. Reconditioning is about unleashing the human in human performance. It's about understanding why you or your clients are not performing or living your best life and giving you and your clients the skills for optimal performance. Our courses, r 1 Foundations and our 2 Designs take you through a complete process in assessment and intervention. Our rec- Reconditioning specialist mentorship pulls everything together in your operating context and our landmark program, Empower You, helps you navigate your own life so you can be your very best. For more information about reconditioning courses and programs, head over to reconditioninghq.com and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off the price of any one of our empowering courses. Most recently, Matrix Fitness Canada partnered with Playball Academy Canada and Kitchener, Ontario, to create the Matrix Conditioning Center. The Matrix Conditioning Center within the facility provides PBA athletes and coaches access to the best and most current conditioning tools to support their development. By combining the Matrix research on product usage with customized needs of the coaches, simple performance metrics are being developed in a body-friendly and progressive way. It is a hybrid model combining high-performance metric analysis with coach-friendly opportunities speed training sprint mechanics coaching metabolic conditioning warm-up and cool-down are all some of the examples of how these tools are being used play ball academy canada was established in 2014 and has developed into one of the premier indoor baseball training facilities in the country from grassroots player and skill development to the pro level the facility and its programming continue to evolve and grow Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness equipment that serves exercisers and operators from all corners of the globe. When it comes to sport performance, Matrix Portfolio continues to grow through its partnership with amateur and professional sports organizations globally. To get more information on how Matrix Fitness can customize something for your team, contact Matrix directly at greg.lawler at matrixfitness.com and tell them Leave Your Mark sent you. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Ken Kanakin. Ken is a chiropractor, certified strength conditioning specialist and a certified personal trainer. He's completed he competed in bodybuilding and powerlifting over 40 years. He regularly lectures across Canada and the United States and Europe to doctors and personal trainers in the areas of weight training, rehabilitation, and nutrition. Ken has lectured at the NSCA, was a CanFit Pros Canadian Presenter of the Year, and also presents regularly for rehabilitation certification seminars. He has also been on the Canadian Powerlifting Medical Committee. He's the author of Optimal Muscle Training, published by Human Kinetics. He is also the founder of the Society of Weight Training Injury Specialists, SWIFT that educates and certifies doctors therapists and personal trainers in the area of exercise muscle testing rehabilitation and treatment of weight training injuries swiss.ca can be found on the internet ken has been a leader in human performance in canada for many years and i'm honored to have him on the show today welcome ken
1: Thank you. Honor to be here.
0: <laughs> Let's go way back, man. You are—you grew up where and uh, the beautiful, lovely. Uh, yeah, so
1: universe. I'm from uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. Um, so I uh, grew up there, uh, went to school there, and then uh, I—that's where I did a lot of the weight training. So I started weight training when I was uh, about 15, and uh, started actually competing in bodybuilding at age 15. Came in at a smoking weight of uh, about 132 pounds. So, uh, so yeah, I was, <laughs> but hey, what the lightweight, heck. Lightweight. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was super lightweight, but it was fun. And I competed in that for a few years and left that. I was fairly strong. So I went into powerlifting and um, basically at around 17, 17, 18 and competed in that for, while well, I competed uh, last year or year before. So I competed in powerlifting for uh, 40 years. And uh, so, yeah, I And actually, in 1983, uh, I was getting ready for the Canadian Powerlifting Championships. And at that time, I was weighing about 165, squatting about 525. And two weeks before, when I was squatting, my right knee, it sounded like a bedsheet ripping. So, you know, some kind of muscle, uh, patellar tendon. So that started me on the journey of rehabilitation. I had to pull out of the Canadians and uh, started to investigate as far as, you know, how am I going to fix this and went to see medical doctors and they weren't very helpful and physiotherapists and we tried some of the different modalities there and that didn't really help. And I got up to a point where... I could squat 400 pounds, but I couldn't squat any more. And, uh, and I could run, I could go up and down stairs, but with no pain. But I, I couldn't I, I couldn't uh, uh, push it any further, get back up over 500 pounds in my squat. So I went to see, you know, my dad says, well, why don't you see the chiropractor? And I went, why? It's my knee, it's not my back. And uh, he says, go. So I, I went, and uh, Merv Ritchie, uh, a chiropractor, Uh, started doing some of the muscle testing on me. And uh, so I was like, you know, the right leg, absolutely no strength whatsoever. But the left leg, you know, you could do, and Merv, his arm was about this big. He was a marathon runner, (laughs) weighed 130 pounds, and um, he he wasn't really that strong. But, you know, he could easily manipulate the, the right leg. So we took some x-rays and everything else, and he said, your knee actually healed up. This was about eight, nine months after that I went to see him from the original injury. He says, but you've lost all you know, nerve impulses and basically a nerve irritation or entrapment, and uh, it decreased the amount of strength going down. So he said, let's do some treatment and see if it helps, which it did. Literally in about three weeks of treatments, about six treatments, I was back squatting over 500 pounds, um, pain free. So I went, wow, that's, that's impressive. So I went and, um, referred him a bunch of patients. I was working at a recreation center at that time. And, um, yeah, he, but he didn't understand weight training. So I thought, screw it. I'll, I'll, do it myself. So I, I think I'm the only human being that's ever moved from British Columbia. To Toronto. Because <laughs> when I tell people that, that I'm from Kelowna, they're all like, why
0: are you here?
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so that true. was my journey and in 1986. I came up to uh, Toronto and, um, and started to go to chiropractic college, graduated in 1991, and then started my chiropractic journey.
0: Okay, so before we get into that deep, uh, dark woods, like what what attracted you to to bodybuilding in the first place? like why did you want to do that
1: Uh, my brother and, and little
0: I little buck thirty
1: yeah buck thirty, no <laughs> kidding well, at that time, so this was back in seventy five so pumping iron just came up, hmm. So, you know, you saw Arnold and everything else and, and I was always picked on because I was so tiny, you know, my nickname was bone rack, you know, I was really, really tiny. And uh, so, you know, I started weight training and, you know, just to try and develop myself. So, my brother and I, we'd be, you know, in the basement with the bull worker and the springs. And we would get the, you know, monthly Joe Weeder. I don't know if you ever saw these yeah, things. Yeah, 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 All the exercises. And we got the whole Charles Atlas, you know, uh, program. And we were trying everything. And, uh, you know, we got the uh, old weights that were plastic with cement on the inside, um, so yeah, so it was it was pretty entertaining as far as that, and and just developing. And then a gym opened up in town, and I uh, went to sign up there. And uh, Warren Langman, and he um, was uh, competed at the Mr. Universe level, and he was good friends with Arnold and everything else. So it was a small little gym, probably. 1,000 square feet, maybe 1,500, but everyone from town sort of showed up, and we had our own little uh, group of bodybuilders, so it, it was fun. It was a fun, fun group
0: yeah it's interesting when you talk to today's generation of you know called performance professionals and strength conditioning stuff i don't think they really understand what it was that us old guys did back i I actually built myself my own gym with like cold rolled bars and um, two by fours and (laughs) well it was so funny so when i went into powerlifting this is super funny uh two
1: stories one is uh we saw that, you know, the powerlifters, when I first started to try and compete, and it was I had to go to Vancouver, and everyone was using chalk, and we couldn't get chalk, so we got board chalk, put it between two 45-pound plates, mash it all up, and it, it's, it's actually not that good, but at least it was something. Uh, so we would use that, and then when I went to my very first powerlifting competition, um, so I was uh, how old was I? 16, 17. So I was going for, I was 148 and I was going for the British Columbia Teenage bench press record. It was at 230 pounds. So I could do about 240 uh, at that time. So drove down to Vancouver and the competition was in the afternoon. So I uh, had my friend drive me to a gym in the morning, so that I could bench press 235 in the morning just to make sure I could do it in the afternoon. So get to the competition. I set the record, you know, on that. And then uh, we do the squat. And then I see everyone walking around with this white powder on their legs. And I was going to go for the teenage deadlift record. I think it was about 400 pounds. And um, so I start chalking my legs and go out there. And as I'm pulling it all up, it's sticking and everything else. And so Jeff Nuttall, who's the head judge, watched me chalk my legs. And he got up out of his chair and he follows me to the back says, what are you doing? And I went, what? He says, why are you chalking your legs? I said, well, everyone else is. He says, no, that's baby powder. It allows it to slide up. I said, oh, so he says, wipe it off. Here's, here's a cancer of baby <laughs> powder. So I start putting baby powder on my legs. Pulled it, I think I pulled out at 410, 415 that day. And, you know, I went, wow, that's a lot easier than putting chuck on your legs. <laughs> we didn't have the internet. The cell phones didn't exist. Like, I mean, you know, magazines once in a while. There was no real books on it, so you just had to, you know, kind of make shit up and see what everyone else was doing. And sometimes, you know,
0: you misinterpret what they do. <laughs> who was your, uh, other than Arnold, who was your favorite bodybuilding b- bodybuilder growing up?
1: Um, so the, I, I really liked that generation of Frank Zane. He had the most aesthetic, you know, most um, probably achievable physique. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he weighed 175, 180 pounds when he won the Mr. Olympia, but it was a good looking physique. And I'd met Frank a number of times and, you know, he didn't look that big. He looked good in in clothes, um, you know, and you had Franco Colombo, Sergio Oliva, you know, that whole generation, you know, um, really respect someone like Bill Pearl, who was Mr. Universe in 1950s, 1960s. And also in the 1970s so 30 years and he in the, his very last competition at the mr universe he basically challenged everyone he said listen this is my last competition he challenged arnold sergio everyone and uh it was at the nabba uh, mr universe and everyone showed up reg park had shown up you know to compete against bill the only one that didn't was arnold and story goes uh joe weeder said i don't know if you should go you know, that's going to be a tough competition for you so the week after you know arnold went into the mr olympia so it's always gone back and forth uh, on that so all those i i just like that generation um you know and uh, it just seemed a little bit more achievable than what is actually going on today
0: mm-hmm. yeah it was a uh, it was a really interesting time, and, um, and I, I want to keep moving along and learning about your interaction with some of these guys over the years and stuff. But uh, you um, you're back in that time, and you mentioned it, but I'm just curious, what were some of the things that were guiding you? Like, was it really just, I'm going to roll the dice and see what happens or were, were, were you, was there an influencer or a coach or somebody that helped you uh, kind of know what to do or you just were trial and error, trial and error? Kind yeah, of there out.
1: was no personal trainers. There were no coaches. They didn't really exist back then. This is back in the, you know, seventies. Um, even in the 1980s, it wasn't as much on that. So it was basically magazines, articles and everything else. So, you know, tried the Mike Menzer, pre-exhaust system, you know, and uh, tried that for a while and certain people got good success and other people got injured. Um, You did the high volume stuff, you know, training twice a day, you know, the Arnold style and not realizing that certain people can't do it. And if you're not doing certain uh, pharmaceuticals, pretty hard to recover, you know, on that. Um, So yeah, just trying different systems and the same thing in powerlifting. Um, you know, you, there are so many different systems that are out there that work. And, you know, with my symposium at Swiss, you know, I probably the most powerful thing that I learned out of doing the symposium was this example. In 2001, I had Dorian Yates, six-time Mr. Olympia, come and present for me. And he's heavy, heavyweight, low reps, low sets, six-time Mr. Olympia in 2002 and I had asked Dorian you know I, because I brought him in I, I you know I had personal conversations you know have you ever tried the high volume I said yeah it didn't work and you know 2002 I had Lee Haney eight time Mr Olympia come out and present and he's the exact opposite of Dorian you know high you know high volume high sets high reps low weight and that is the art of bodybuilding that I found is that Everyone, every single system works. It's just you have to find what works for you. And I'd ask Lee, like, you know, have you tried the heavyweight? I had Dorian. And Dorian and uh, Lee competed against each other. And, in fact, Lee, uh, Dorian never beat Lee Haney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, as far as the pharmaceutical levels are, you know, it's all level playing field. So it's not that game. So what I found is that everyone found their own way. Like, I mean, you have Arnold and Franco. Arnold was, you know, high volume. He'd have two or three training partners because he'd burn them out just with the amount of volume. And then he had Franco, super strong, way stronger than Arnold, and he would do heavy weight, lower reps. So that's that's the thing that I've noticed in powerlifting, in bodybuilding, is you have to find the system that works for you. Everything works, but you have to find it what works for you.
0: Yeah, I found that that. You know, for myself, uh, my influence in strength training was really training to, to play football. But I remember being influenced at the time by sort of I would say three cohorts of of um, training phenomena. One was the those bodybuilding guys uh, that you just mentioned. Then there was the strongmen because there was the that that was that kind of initiation phase late seventies when the they were having these strongman competitions and Ferrigno was going on and and. And, uh, um, you know, you start, started to see Kazmire and all these yep. guys. I love Kazmire back in those days. And, you know, the fridge carries and the carp and the truck pulls and everything was on NBC back in the day. And there was that thing. And then there was the, I was a big Steelers fan. So you had the the John Colbs and the Mike Websters and the guys who were lifting big. And that was that whole sort of era of uh, when lifting was really coming to the, the forefront. And we were all being influenced by that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I. I think I, I'm going to ask the question now, but I want I'm going to circle back onto your chiropractic presence. But after growing up and seeing these guys, and then now in the last number of years, bringing them to conferences, getting to know them, was the, how was that kind of sort of connection from your your call it your formative years to your career years in connecting with these guys later on what they, what they were after you'd seen them on TV or whatever it was.
1: Yeah. You know what? It's, it's, it's a little surreal mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, you have looked up to these people, you know, whether it's a Bill Casmire and Ed Cohn, Dorian Yates, Lee Haney. And what was amazing was that they were so nice. They're such nice people. You know, they take the time to talk to you. There's no attitude. Um, they're, they're very helpful on, on a lot of different levels. They're very forthright. They're very honest. Like, I mean, you ask them pretty much any question, and, you know, they'll, they'll answer it. And, 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 you know, case in point, you know, uh, in 2016, you know, I decided to... Um, do a, a uh, panel discussion on anabolic steroids. No one had really done it to the level that I thought that should be done. It was kind of like the giant elephant in the room because, you know, whenever you look at someone and they're performing, it's always like, well, geez, you know, I wonder what they're on or, you know, all this other, you know, nonsense. And um, But no one really talks about it. Everyone knows mm-hmm. about it, but no one ever talks about it. So I decided, along with my good friend Dave Sandler, Uh, that we were going to, you know, uh, co-host and and put on this uh, panel. And so I got a bunch of doctors. So Dr. Serrano, you know, he came on. Rick Collins, who's, you know, one of the top lawyers for anabolic steroids. Dr. Darren Willoughby, you know, a scientist, uh, you know, Brad Hall uh, or Brad Hall um, had uh, Victoria Felcar, you know, from the female standpoint, Dr. Victor Prisk, uh, Dr. Scott Stevenson, who works with a lot of bodybuilders. And uh, two weeks before, I wanted to get an athlete, so I found uh, Ben Johnson, the sprinter. He was in China, and I asked him to come. Would he come? He says, yeah, absolutely. And so had, you know, a number of top, top people there. So half hour before the presentation, I go out into the uh, lobby, you know, to try and put stuff together for the panel discussion. And uh, Kaz Meyer is talking to Dorian Yates, which is bizarre in of itself. You know, they're really good <laughs> friends. But when you see these legends talking together, it's like, wow. <laughs> so I walk up and Kaz Meyer, and Kaz looks at me and he says, uh, Dorian's really pissed off at you. And I'm like, oh, you know, and you've done symposiums every hour. There's some kind of crisis going on. <laughs> so I look at uh, Dorian and, and Kaz goes, uh, he's upset you didn't ask him to go on the steroid panel. And I went, really? So I looked at Dorian and I said, do you want to go on? He says, yeah, I have some stuff I want to say. So I'm great. I look at Kaz and I said, do you want to go on? He says, I, I don't I don't know what I would have to say. I said, you know what? You can just sit there. I know <laughs> Kaz well enough. He's not going to sit there. So. They, they came on, and they were very forthright. Like, I mean, I had the fastest man in the world, Ben Johnson. I had Dorian Yates, one of the top bodybuilders of all time, and Bill Kazmaier. And it was the very first time that Dorian had ever talked about anabolic steroids and what he took on video. He talked about it on paper. Kazmaier, very first time, he basically explained exactly what he did, how he did it, and everything else. The presentation was supposed to be 90 minutes long, went on for three hours and it was a great discussion it was very honest in the sense of just because of the uh the the falsehood of all these different drugs that are out there the underground drugs the amount of people that are getting hurt the lack of education the lack of testing you know that uh, a lot of people so it basically, it came down to it has to go back into the hands of the physicians they have to learn about it do proper testing there has to be honest, uh, type of drugs out there. Cause a lot of the stuff is counterfeit and, you know, a lot of people are getting sick from that. Mm-hmm. So the authenticity, you know, when you see individuals that are willing to on video, you know, share, you know, exactly what, what is going on, you know, and that's just the individuals that, you know, are willing to do that and step up. And that's the, that just shows me the character of their, of, of what they're made up of.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I want to keep unpacking that, but I do want to circle back. So you, go, you decide to go into chiropractic because of this epiphany of uh, personal health and well-being. So then do you, do you fall in love with, with the profession when you get into it, or are you like how, how does that go? Because there's one side of it is what your expectations are, but now you actually have to use your hands, and there's more to it than using your hands. There's connecting with people and everything else. So how does all that go for you when you actually jump in the pool?
1: Yeah. So I went in because I could see the impact that it had on myself in the area of weight training. So everything that I focused in on when I was in chiropractic college was always focused in on how can this make me a better weight trainer? How can I perform better and also help people in the weight training industry? So that was always the driving force. So it didn't matter what technique. And and I see chiropractic more as a modality as opposed to an identity. And so you have a lot of chiropractors, that's all they do. And and a lot of them, they're unbelievably good at what they do, but that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found it very limiting in the sense of if you had a muscle problem, you know, that, that's where you can get into an issue. So, you know, different techniques, whether it be active release technique or acupuncture or, you know, Graston, definitely rehabilitation is huge. In the past five years, I've spent a lot of time uh, on brain and how the brain impacts, you know, um, the body, because if it's a chronic issue, it actually changes the brain. So now you got to work on that, especially if you've had some kind of head injury and most people have never had it properly addressed and can limit them. So my, my whole focus was that, you know, I wanted to find the best in the world and I'm a seminar junkie. And so I would just travel all over and try and find the best in the world, learn from them and, and understand how does it work. And then in 1999, uh, instead of me traveling all the time, I decided, well, I'll just bring everyone in. <laughs> and uh, and it was, it was great to be able to interact and, and work with that. Uh, from a business perspective, it was not a very good thing just because I really don't know what I'm doing. And financially, it was uh, difficult that way. But, you know, I would do it again in a heartbeat just because the friends that you meet, such as yourself and, you know, a number of other, you know, individuals, uh, you know, and and. Uh, It's funny because the presentation you did in 2004, I always refer to it that contraindicated people versus contraindicated exercises. And it's just so classic. You know, there's, you know, people would say, oh, you know, I teach chiropractors and I would show them something like good mornings or Romanian deadlifts or something like that. Oh, that's contraindicated. I said, football is contraindicated. <laughs> Let's get things in perspective. <laughs> football is
0: contraindicated. <laughs> I was actually in pre- preparation for this. I was trying to recollect how you and I met. I, I'm pretty sure it was at an NSCA conference or something. We were yeah. we passed yeah. into yeah. each other and first met, yeah. and then I believe
1: I, I was down in uh, Montreal a few times with Lauren Goldenberg, and we were uh, uh, I think back. In, mm-hmm. uh, you know, change rooms and you know the locker rooms and stuff like that. And yeah, it was always it was always really really good to uh connect up. You know, on that world.
0: I remember the early years of the Swiss Conference and going. At, I remember the, ho- the doing a hockey panel with you and uh, oh, yes, Twister there, and Goldenberg and Friesen and Friesen, all the guys back in Gary, the days yeah, and stuff. Eddie, when you yeah, when you first when you first envisioned doing it, like you, you just kind of said. I'm going to throw caution to the wind and do this. And, and w- what was the vision in your head? I would just want to bring as many great people uh, together around this subject and see where it goes. Yeah,
1: I, I, you know, it was kind of like throwing spaghetti on the wall. You know, it was a giant experiment in 99. I wanted to see whether or not there would be an interest in it. And, um, it, and so I had two tracks, one was on treatment, one was on training because me teaching over, you know, uh, over the years, I graduated in 91 and I was teaching, you know, the chiropractors, you know, as far as, you know, some of the weight training. So it's uh, brought in by different organizations and their rehab and everything else. And then also teaching, you know, the personal trainers. And I found that the chiropractors really had no concept on weight training or strength training or even the benefit of it or anything else. And then I had the personal trainers, and it's even more apparent now where they're trying to fix everything with exercise. And, you know, that doesn't always work. Um, So I thought, you know what, let's put the two fields together and see what happens. And and it actually worked out really, really well. So that there was connections, there's an understanding. And especially when you bring in really good people, um, usually if I go to a chiropractic conference, it's just all about chiropractic. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was unique about this is that the two fields could see each other and, and have discussions and talk about it and see where they can actually benefit. And it's like, so you could change, uh, the different ideas uh, of certain people, uh, and even certain techniques is what I also found is that when certain presenters get at a certain level they don't tend to go to other people's seminars because it almost mm. seems like it diminishes theirs. Mm-hmm. But coming to the Swiss Symposium, and a classic example was you know, Dr. David Leaf, who's one of the top muscle testing people in the world, and Dr. Mike Leahy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Mark Lindsay, a good friend of mine, chiropractor, one of the top ART guys and worked on every single athlete on the planet, good friends of ours. Um, Mark and I always tried to get the two of them together, and they wouldn't. Just because, you know, you got two alpha <laughs> alpha males, two eagles going on there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so at the symposium, you know, uh, Dr. Leahy would sit in and David's, you know, muscle testing. And he went, that makes sense. And Dr. Leaf could see, you know, what Dr. Leahy was doing. And he went, wow. You know, so because, I mean, they, they really didn't understand what each other did. And so they actually, so it took them all to dinner. Actually, this is a funny story. So I have... Mark and I were on one side of the table. On the other side, we have Dr. Squally, Dr. Mike Leahy, and Dr. David Leaf. And uh, so for the first hour, they wouldn't talk to each other. <laughs> they, we, they would talk to us, but they wouldn't turn and tie. And I'm like, man, this is weird. So I asked, you know, Dr. Uh, Squally. I said, you know what? I heard about, you know, how you help all these different injuries, and you make this uh, combination of of different types of uh, substances and and drugs, and you inject it, and it basically helps a lot of the tendonitis and everything else, and he went into that, and he said, yeah, you know, this is what I do, and and it works great, Dr. Leahy and Dr. Leaf are listening, and I turned to Dr. Leahy and I go, how does active release really work? And he went through this incredible biochemical reaction of him actually doing the fashion, and the stuff that I've never heard him actually present on stage. And I went, Wow. Okay, so that's how you're doing it. And Dr. Leaf, how, how do you deal with the soft tissue? He says, well, I use a percussor. And basically, a lot of times, the the, um, uh, the fascia tends to stick. And so with the percussive force, it turns it in from a gel state to a salt state and basically releases the fascia. So I said, you guys are doing the same thing, but just three different ways. And he went, Yeah. All of a sudden they all become friends and on the way back from the <laughs> restaurant. <they> have Dr. <laughs> Leaf go, you know what? I want to invite you know you, Dr. Leahy, to my seminar. And Dr. Leahy says, I'd like for you to come. So it's everything is based on networking, understanding the and you never know what's gonna happen, you know, and and, and how you can set things up. So it's always been a real passion for me to bring in different ideas, different concepts, um to try and augment and and, and lift the actual industry in whatever way that I can.
0: I'm going to use a word that nobody knows in this generation right now, but how did you build your Rolodex to be able to find out, like to get all connected to all these guys? Because you, you brought a phenomenal cast of characters from a lot of different places together in earlier days when the internet and all these things were some of that outreach can be done now a little bit more easily. That was, that was probably a good haul back in the days to get connected to all. It,
1: yeah, it, it was tough. Um, primarily what I would do is I would go to seminars Mm. and so when i'm at the seminar i would talk to them about it number one i wanted to see whether or not what they were doing would be helpful and in line with what i'm doing and the second part is were they actually a a good person um and are they a good presenter because i went Mm. to see some and they they were just brutal you know (laughs) they've got a huge reputation out there but i'm like oh my god this is painful when you know half the audience gets up and walks out you know, I um, saw that one at one of the NSCA conferences. I hold on who that was, but it was, he was the keynote speaker and everyone's like, man, this is painful. And I was considering, oh yeah, this is really, you know, I, I want to see if I bring him in. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Brilliant has written amazing material and everything else. So certain people are really good at delivering information, uh, but the information is very basic and I've always seen Swiss as a, sort of a, a level up, and, um, and and of unique things. So I'd always want to bring in what's unique, what is um, what's cutting edge, if you want to call it. How does it actually fit in? And then from that, you know, work it. And then once I started to build that Rolodex, then this person would know this person. So it's kind of like six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so once you build a network, but primarily at the very beginning, it was just me going out to everyone's seminars, talking to them person to person. And when you take you know care of people properly and try and help them out and pay them you know half decent and take care of all their expenses, then they're more than likely to come in. And also it really helps their business. So Dr. Leahy, uh, when he first came in... Uh, I think it was in 2001 and when he was doing the active release seminars he would normally get 30 or 40 people uh to his uh seminars and uh after swiss and i said listen try and set up an, your next one within a few weeks after so that you can sign people up at the seminar so he got 172 so it <laughs> quadrupled you know his normal attendance and uh so we we work together and that's what I always wanted to do is to be, be able to share and get people together. And, uh, over the years I always said that the symposium happens in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really understand until my last one in 2018, what I meant by that. And what I found was that the presentations happen in the ballrooms, but it's a one way conversation it's mm-hmm. from the stage to the audience. Um, when you're in the hallways, and, and I held the symposium in a number of different places, different venues, you know, the Sheraton downtown, you know, the um, International Center, and then the main one was the Delta Meadowvale, which is now the Hilton. But the, the, that place at the Delta was perfectly set up. The halls were narrow. It was almost like a nightclub. You want to build that, you know, when you're walking through, you can't help but bump into Kazmaier or Charles Poliquin or Matt Nickel or Stu McKe- Like, I mean, and everyone stayed there. Mm-hmm. And everyone, when you bring in good people, all the presenters sit in everyone else's presentations, which is odd because normally, you know, and I'm, you know, guilty of this too, a lot of times we're called to come in and present. And, you know, we, we don't stare for the, for the other presenters sometimes. You know, here everyone did because we're all friends. In fact, you know, I asked some of the people, hey, you know, which uh, presentations and see? I didn't see a lot. You know, I got in conversation, you know, Kazma, I was talking to Stu McGill with uh, Matt Wenning there and they got into this great conversation, you know, that, that lasted an hour, you know, and I'm like, wow. You know, so that is a two-way conversation then. And that's where, because you're not on stage, you can start talking about things that maybe you're not confident about, maybe not a ton of research. Maybe it's a little edgy or anything else of that nature. But, you know, we would just do different types of things. And mm-hmm. this one year, Mark Lindsay he brings this one, one of his patients in. She had a flower pot land on her head from five stories up. So she had all these wild neurological issues going on. And Dr. Leaf was talking to Dr. Leah at that time. And um, so Mark brought this woman in and says, can you guys do the work? So, you know, Dr. Leahy kind of did some work through the neck and, you know, uh, down the arm. And then Dr. Leaf would do the testing and he says, you're, you're missing this area. This is still weak. So then it was like they're going back and forth back and forth and literally with and all of a sudden it's like 20 30 40 50 there was a symposium happening literally right into the right in the lobby area of real time a real issue Two leaders in the field that would never work together um, are working on this one person, and literally within about twenty minutes, this woman had no pain in her hand first time in many years. Um, and but it needed both peoples from different perspectives, mm. and I think that's the the interesting thing that I've done over the years is that uh, you know within my own field, a lot of times we're a little bit myopic. In the sense of all you need is adjustment, just get the spine adjusted, and you know that that doesn't work. You know, yeah. not you know you, it'll help a lot of times, and a number of times it won't because especially complicated cases or chronic cases, and that's what you need to work on a lot of different levels.
0: Yeah, I love those that kind of story because that's that's where. That's where the secret sauce is when you bring all these people together and they start actually listening to one another and the power of each other's, uh, you know, what you take away from another person. And that, yeah, that doesn't and happen when the ego sometimes stops that for sure.
1: Well, you know what? That was the cool part at uh, Swiss is that, you know, the, they would normally leave their ego at the door. Like, I mean, you could come in all jacked up, you know, you bench 400, and then Casimir walks around the corner. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> maybe I won't be egotistical. Or you think, you know, <laughs> yeah, I squat all this. And then Stu Miguel walks around, who's a PhD, one of the top in the world. And you see him, and he's super humble and talking about some of the different things, you know, and you're like, yeah. And everyone just wanted to share. Everyone just wanted to learn. And you have these top flight. I remember, you know, Matt Wanning was talking to Casimir, and Casimir is edu- and Matt has set off a number of different, you know, world records. And so Casimir is coaching Matt on, well, maybe try this, maybe try this, you know. And Casimir was doing a presentation, and I remember uh, Stu McGill walks in, grabs this one, you know, preacher bench, puts it right in the front and, you know, just sits there, and he wants to listen to what Kazmaier has to say about, you know, some of the different type of training, you know. So that's the cool part, is that, yeah, you you have people that leave their ego at the door. If you see him in the hallway, two or three major presenters talking about something, you as an attendee, a delegate, can just walk up and listen, and if you're If you're smart enough, you won't say anything, you know, you'll just listen. And that's where you really learn. You know, you see the interactions, the questions, the answers and and the the different concepts that come out of that.
0: For you as a kid growing up in bodybuilding and powerlifting, what was your biggest pinch me moment of uh, doing all of that? So what was you, my major biggest pinch pinch me moment, like the moment where you are like, holy geez, I can't believe this guy's in front of me, or I'm actually having a conversation with these two guys or something to that effect. From uh, when you were a kid, <clears throat> you know, you looked up to all these guys. Now you're, yeah, like,
1: I th- right? I think, yeah, I think just, uh, when, you know, with the very first one, you know, Marl Deepasqually, Squally, who's my first keynote presenter. Um, I remember when, uh, back in the, back in the eighties. And I was just sending Morrow, you know, all these different articles on nutrition and everything else. I'd never met him, but I always read about him and, you know, always looked up to him. And, uh, I met him once in the, in the uh, U of T book stacks. you know, both looking at research and, you know, I went and, you know, I got the courage to come up to him because he was, you know, one of the top powerlifters of all time. And then, uh, you know, I, uh, I said, Oh, by the way, I competed against you in 1983. the Canadian power or 1984 in the Canadian powerlifting championships and he went oh I won that one I said yeah I know you beat me badly (laughs) (laughs) so uh but yeah having Morrow just as far as being one of the top powerlifters of all time one of the top nutritionists you know in, in the industry like leading edge and then also understands anabolic steroids pretty much better than anyone else on the planet and so to have him you know to open up the symposium you know the very first time and to have my mentors like you know dr leaf come and present and dr leahy doctor so i did a i asked dr leahy can you come present He says, well i'll see if i can make it he says i have a triathlon that same day i went okay so you know, I'm, I'm doing a panel discussion, my very first panel discussion in 1999 and just all the different uh, people's perspectives. And all of a sudden, Dr. Leahy uh, just walks in with his suitcase and I went, I thought you had, you know, a uh, uh, triathlon. He said, yeah, I did in the morning. I threw my uh, bike onto to uh, to get shipped back and uh, I want to come out and I want to present. And so I said, OK, sit on the panel, I grab a chair, you know, it's just like it was just so much fun. You know, and, and the, I, what I found is the, the less that you try and control things, the better it actually becomes. Mm. You, know, you know, so, yeah, those individuals were, were huge um, for me to uh, bring in. And then Dorian Yates and Lee Haney. And just and when you spend time with them, you sort of go, you're just a nice person. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you find out that they just have a different work ethic. They focus in on what they needed to do and, and how to do things. You know, Ed Cohn, same thing, just a, a very, very nice guy, help anyone, talk to anyone. And they stay around. And they the interesting thing is that they also know their, their status. Mm-hmm. So they know that people are afraid to approach them. So they would approach other people. You know, uh, Ed would walk up, hey, I'm Ed Cohn, what's your name? And then people are like, holy shit, you know, I got (laughs) pictures of of you up on the wall and you're talking (laughs) to me, you know, and uh, everything else. And when I, you know, uh, Kazmaier, you know, I had Matt Nickel pick up Kazmaier from uh, the airport he was supposed to present. This was in 2001. And, um... Kazmaier walks in, and he's got an Under Armour shirt. He's about 325, jacked, veins hanging off everywhere. Like, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's like, what just walked in here? And uh, so I walk up, I'd never met Kaz before and introduced myself. And he leans over and he says, I want you to introduce me to everyone that uh, is here, everyone in your party. And it was all the presenters. So I took the presenters out for dinner. And so he'd shake hands and everything else. And Stu McGill was a huge fan. He says, make sure that, you know, Bill sits beside me, and Bill Pearl, he was presenting, he says, I'd like to sit beside Kaz, because they trained together uh, also, so it was was really, it was pretty, pretty unique
0: when you have those individuals. (laughs) You must be worrying worrying about what you're going to feed them at a meal like that, I'm sure. Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) That's that's where all my
1: profits went. (laughs) I got smart the one year where, you know, I took everyone to all you could eat, so... (laughs)
0: I actually was watching some of your clips uh, recently, and for the listener, you know, Ken has accumulated a, a massive library of amazing presentations, and you can go and catch those on his Swiss.ca uh, website. I think it's www.swis.ca. Um, amazing, amazing presentations. And I was w- listening to some of the clips from uh, Charlie, um, yeah. and Charlie's always been an interesting presenter, and, you know, his oh, yeah. little forthright at times and stuff. But uh, what was your experience with, you know, Charlie was a massive thought leader in Canada for sure and worldwide in some sense over time. And um, what was the first year you had him present and and how how did that relationship grow and develop for you?
1: Um, yeah, Charles came out and he's supposed to come in '99. And present, but he was trying to get his uh, U.S. immigration status, so he couldn't mm. cross the border. So that didn't work out. But he came and presented in 2005, mm. and um, so that was good. You know, he, he basically came out with his bio signature and some different concepts, and he would always take material. From other people, and then how can you also translate it? So we would take stuff from Eric Serrano or mario Di Pasquale or you know, the Germans, uh, the Russians, and and trying to implement it and see what actually works. And Charles was always more interested in what is effective versus waiting for the research. Mm-hmm. And he was also understanding enough in the sense of Um, There are other parameters, you know, on that as far as uh, people's responses. And there was a good example that I put recently on my Instagram was uh, he's talking about the powerlifters. And you have someone like Roger Estep, who is a uh, multi-world champion, unbelievably strong, and he would do for his lifting 12 sets of one rep. And the guy's got a PhD. Like, I mean, he was working on the MRI, you know, uh, unit. So super smart guy, but he found what worked for him. Mm -hmm. And then you got someone like Jim Williams. Uh, Jim Williams would bench press 625 every day. Now, he was in Attica prison, but, you know, he was able to do that. And he had the world record in bench press, 660 pounds in a T-shirt for many, many years. Um, And then you have other people that are higher volume cause they could actually recover. Um, and everyone is, is, is different. So Charles was always looking at how do I train the individual versus follow the actual program? Mm. And so he would take unique concepts and then he got into nutrition and try and take clinical nutrition and how do you apply it into, uh, for athletes and, um, And so trying doing some of the different types of testing and, you know, the uh, understanding of that, you know, era too. So he was always very, very innovative and and, uh, unique Um, and, you know, a unique presenter. You know, I've been in many presentations that, you know, depending on how tired Charles was or what mood he would be in, like someone would ask a question, he would look at him. And then you look at somewhere else and go next question. You know, he, he would just totally disregard. So he was always <laughs> highly entertaining. You know that way. So yeah, you know, and he has a million and one stories. Like I mean, that's that's the fun part of uh, Charles is that you know the stories were absolutely hilarious a lot of times.
0: You. You know, you've been sort of front and center watching the industry grow in Canada for a a long time, and you mentioned like your youth, the magazines, and set. Do you remember um, call it a, a transition point? What years where it went from being you know Muscle Mag and. You know those kinds of reference materials too. It started to get a little bit more serious, and you actually were getting some science, and you were getting more in, in, informed uh, knowledge around that. Was that you know mid '80s? Was that later eighty When when did you start to notice the the change in that and how the industry grew? Matrix Fitness is a global brand of exercise equipment managed locally in the countries it serves. In Canada, Matrix Fitness is. 56 employees, four offices, a technical support team across Canada, covering all regions and serving some of the biggest fitness and hospitality brands in your community. In 2021, Matrix will celebrate its 20th anniversary and sixth year within Canada. An emerging market for Matrix is its sport performance and athletic training portfolio. While Matrix Fitness has gained significant momentum in the fitness market, Strength and conditioning is evolving, and for that, they need to collaborate with some good people. In the second half of 2020, Matrix launched its own Canadian ambassador program, a partnership that looks to do exactly that, work with good people who serve athletes. This is an opportunity to be part of a growing and emerging brand in the ever-changing industry of sport performance. For more information on their ambassador program and exploring the details of how it might work for you, please contact the Vice President of Business Development, Greg Lawler. Please reference the Leave Your Mark podcast and reach out to Greg at greg.lawler at matrixfitness.com.
1: I think for myself, when I got into chiropractic college, <clears throat> and I just spent all my time in the book stacks and trying to find the research articles and trying to understand, you know, some of the physiology, read a lot of stuff with Marlon Di Pasquale. He was the most prolific at the time that made a lot of sense. Um, and because everything else was sort of experimental, you know, uh, uh, or experiential. And, you know, this is what I did and how I did things. Um, and then I think once the internet, Uh, basically started in 95 and then Google came in 1999. Uh, That's when I think you had the shift. And then you also had the profession of personal trainers showing up at that time, you know, Mm -hmm. back then we called them training partners, but uh, you know, now is sort of like, you know, you're dealing with coaches and how do you work with people in, in, in getting that industry, you know, for that. And I think my first NSCA conference was in, It was in the late 80s. I, I got my CSCS when I graduated from chiropractic college in St. Louis. So I wrote wrote that um, in 91. Um, mm. So that was also big. And, you know, that's where, you know, I met yourself and Lauren and Charles and, you know, a number of other, you know, people um, that would, uh, Tommy Cladon, you know, just, mm. you know, A lot of crazy people. Um, Mark Klings, you know, from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, just, you know, and just everyone's sharing and ideas. And NSCA has always been sort of on the forefront of a lot of the different type of research, especially in strength and conditioning. Um, And then just over the years, as far as the actual Internet, you know, started to uh, transpire and you know, books and videos and everything else. And then YouTube blew up. And it's gone on from there. So my goal was always to sort of find the small little clips of information and try and post them on Instagram one, two minutes. um, And then, you know, put captions on it because 95% of the people that do watch videos don't turn the audio on. So that's why I put the captions underneath. And then also because some of the presenters, people don't know who they are who it is and, you know, what they're actually talking about. Because the attention span now on the internet due to social media is pretty minimal, pretty Mm -hmm. minimal. So everyone's trying to get different ideas, different concepts. And, and my advice is that everything works, you know, Mm -hmm. you just have to find what works for you. And a lot of times we get locked into sort of ideas or methodologies.
0: Yeah, well, through all of this, you've maintained a professional practice, and how has your practice sort of changed over the years? Like, you know, when you look at what you, the chiropractor you were early on, to mid stage, to now, what's what are the big changes for you and how you practice?
1: Um, when I first graduated, I worked with um, uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Mark Percival was a chiropractor and a naturopath. So, um, I was always heavily into nutrition. That's actually why I didn't go back to British Columbia because at that time, um, doing any type of nutritional work, uh, as a chiropractor was illegal. So hmm. if I was to recommend or sell vitamin C in my clinic in British Columbia back in the late eighties and nineties, um, I would lose my license for six months. Hmm. So, um, so I, I, I knew I wanted to do clinical nutrition. I wanted to deal with the fitness and strength world and everything else. So, and I had some opportunities and, then I also did some, uh, I was part owner of a gym and I had the clinic in, in the gym. So from the very get go, I, I was doing that. And I, you know, I, I tried doing some of the more philosophical chiropractic uh, stuff, went to a number of seminars, Uh, Did some uh, mentorship and different things, but it just didn't fit, didn't fit my model. Not that it's good or bad. It's just everyone has a different way of working. And so i try and find what worked for me. And it always came back to weight training. So once I settled on that and, you know, realized that that identity and I was comfortable with it, um, then I just started building it up more and more. And that's where I started doing Swiss and building my own clinics and working. And then, uh, you know, I sold my clinic to uh, another clinic, AIN, which was, uh, you know, uh, accident injury management, Um, but to be able to work with 13 medical doctors that dealt with chronic pain because I wanted to see that world and how they work and how they think and, you know, understand, you know, how the two professions can actually work together. So I did that for five years and been doing different types of aspects of uh, treatment and presenting and whatnot. But the main theme over all the years has always been on weight training, strength training, um, what works, what doesn't. And then also, you know, just developing that field of weight training sports medicine, like, you know, uh, with Swiss, you know, just bringing everyone in and you know seeing what works you know uh and uh, from the different perspectives and it doesn't really matter you know whether it's a physiotherapist a chiropractor massage therapist athletic therapist osteopath medical doctor we can all work together because we all have different strengths
0: Mm -hmm. you uh you had a few challenges with Swiss from a call it a business perspective. What did you learn about yourself in that, like in the in the challenges that you had around it over the years? Did you did you grow personally from just going through some of that stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I think the biggest thing is to. And it's even more important nowadays with what we're going through with the lockdowns and the COVID and all the gyms being locked down and whatnot. Um, In 99, you know, I I created, you know, Society of Weight Training Injury Specialists and focusing on weight training and and the injuries aspect of it. And then um, I, I kept listening to people and they go, isn't that limiting? Like, you know, you should go after sports. So I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's bigger. And uh, so I did that and that didn't really work. And then, you know, the the worst one was in 2004 where everyone's like, you should do wellness. So I changed it to the Society of Wellness Integrated Specialists. And I think you came up to that one. That was in 2004. <laughs> I think, you know, you were one of the few that had a good presentation because, <laughs> I mean, it was a I spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on marketing and mailing every single person and radio ads and just did everything possible. And, uh, you know, my very first symposium, I had like four hundred and fifty people, you know, there my largest one was close to 900 people which was in 2002 and 2003 SARS so i had to cancel it uh, In 2004 I spent all this money and i thought wellness everyone's going to come in and had a big you know expo for the public i had like 380 people cuz everyone's like what the heck is this society wellness what So I went, okay. So then in 2005, I decided to do my last one. And I did it by myself. You know, for 2004, I had a staff of five, you know, helping me put it all together and all that. 2005, I said, screw it. I'll just do it by myself. You know, sent out some emails to some different people. You know, it's back to Swiss, weight training injuries. Let's have some fun. And I think like 650 people showed up. So. You know what? The the whole thing is that the more I diluted the message, Mm. especially when I went down the wellness path, because what is wellness? Mm. You know, weight training injury, pretty self-apparent. You know, I injured myself, weight training. You know, and what can you do? How do you prevent it? Good technique. And then how do you fix it? And how do you rehab it? So in today's industry, because of the lockdown and so many gyms are being locked down, Um, trainers are basically can't even train people. They can't go to the gym one-on-one trainings. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that going into homes and whatnot. So, you know, I'm, I'm just creating this new thing. Uh, It's called the Swiss health and fitness survival Alliance. What that is, and is to have, is to have health practitioners like yourself, like myself, be able to refer to a personal trainer. The problem is, is that trainers haven't leveled up. They haven't become a specialist. And probably the best example would be a medical doctor who spent eight years in school, became a, a general practitioner, and then they can level up by spending another two to four years, become an orthopedic surgeon. And then what they do is they specialize in basically one joint, say the shoulder, mini you know, Dr. Miniachi or you have Hamilton Hall, low back, you know, you have a number of, and they only, like you don't see Hamilton Hall doing shoulder surgery or knee surgery. You know, they just focus in on, because I mean, it's so complicated, but they're the go-to people. And I think that's what happens, has to happen in the training world. What I respect the most about you is you focused on hockey. Like, I mean, it's always been about hockey, you know and and we need individuals you know on that that understand their sport that understand the mechanisms of injury rehab and everything else Hockey's a lot different than football and i think a lot of people are the trainers they came out it's a very low barrier to get in and so it's a weekend you know seminar exam now you're a certified personal trainer I think through this whole process, this COVID uh, uh, process, uh, people have figured out that they can train on their own. There's enough YouTube out there, and they just won't have the money, you know, for for a generalist. They will with a specialist. Mm. So my focus now is to, and I've been talking to Matt Nickel a lot about this, and he's been very helpful, and I want to ask you a question on this too, is what will it take in order for someone like yourself to refer to another trainer. What do you need to see? What do you would what are you looking for? You know, on and, and maybe can
0: you answer that for me? Mm. Uh I I guess for myself, I, I I have my own personal bias, but I think the ability to look I to yeah I think the ability to look at things from a more holistic perspective is is really important. I think for too long in the training industry, um you know, it's, it's been biased in a sense by what I would call maybe the bodybuilding phenomena of build the joints and the muscles and stuff, and not so much, you know, what are the, what are the influencing factors and all the different things to performance that could, could challenge somebody. So you mentioned it earlier, you know, you get the brain, you have all these different elements. And I think sometimes it's not just a a muscle issue. It's a whole bunch of other things. So I think if, a good quality practitioner recognizes the individual differences like you talked about, the ability to look at the whole, to train the whole, to look at what that person's actually preparing themselves to do. Um, You know, what what are you doing with your body and what do you want to experience and be able to to do and, and how are you preparing them to do that rather than maybe the aesthetic realities of, you know, fitness so to speak or uh, which i think were the dominant drivers of personal training for a long time you know so that's that's kind of where my head's at with that but. so so if if, so, if you want to say someone you
1: know it says you know what i'm i'm live in calgary uh who who can you refer me to mm-hmm. you know and 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 so if we can build the network as far as different types of trainers or strength coaches, you know, and, and how to build up their reputation uh, because they have to actually do this fairly quickly because they just don't have time. Like, I mean, you've been in the industry for decades, Lauren Goldenberg, Pete free, like, I mean, you know, Pete twist, you got, you know, Matt nickel, everyone's been in the industry for decades. People don't have decades. Mm -hmm. You know, now we're going to lose a lot of different, really, really good strength coaches and trainers just because they won't have access to different types of people. And Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to figure out uh, to teach people. And it doesn't really matter. Like, I mean, if I have a personal trainer that's focused in on low back, perfect. And I want to understand, you know, number one, are you a good person? you know and do you have some education but also how do you actually apply this you know and and don't throw in just because you took a kettlebell course last week they all of a sudden you know everyone's going to get kettlebell with you know blown disc yeah no you know (laughs) but that's what we tend to see you know the trainers are not focusing in on how can i use this with what i already know and the direction and and the um specific population that i'm really really focused in on and Mm -hmm. so i think that's going to be you know i think it's going to be the 80 20 we're going to probably lose 80 percent of the trainers and strength coaches just just with i I understand i've heard today that uh montreal um is uh in in, like they shut down a lot
0: of the gyms till Mm -hmm. march Mm -hmm. is that true I don't know when the next date has been moved. It was mid January, so maybe it is going to go to March. Well, I
1: think this is the gyms themselves. Mm -hmm. Consortium has has basically shut things down. You know, all the gyms in here in Mississauga and Toronto are completely locked down. Mm -hmm. I have patients that own gyms that you know here, and they as as an owner can't even go in and train by themselves. Mm -hmm. And then you have these these giant good lifes that are thirty thousand square feet, and you're allowed ten people. Like it's just uh,
0: you know it's just it's really a, it's, unfortunate. Gonna, it's a tough industry unfortunately at this point for sure you make a, you make a great point Ken and kudos to you in being in leadership to see what it is that can maybe change. I, yeah, I think something. personally when you ask me I think I think one of the things that uh, I've always tried to push. Um, the people that I teach towards, or is is more about a, a thinking concept versus a doing concept. I think for a long time, people learned how to do exercises and they didn't really know why they were doing them. They, yes. You know, this is a kettlebell exercise, this is a power clean. This is a da da da, and then they become kind of connected or attached to that. Versus, this is an implement to achieve something. That's it. That's all. You know, uh, it's a load. And, you know, I think unless you're in the industry of power, power lifting, Olympic lifting or bodybuilding where there's an actual strength development philosophy attached to what it is you're trying to achieve, the rest of it, when it comes down to fitness is you're using uh, fitness and uh, and athlete training and rehab an implement is there to create stimulus to change and you can apply them in, but I don't think the industry has taught people enough about that thinking mechanism. It's taught people more. These are the exercises. These are back exercises. These are this exercise. And so then people can't think their way out of that sort of phenomena. Well, there is no
1: no real transferability. You know, I think one of the great quotes I've ever heard is from Matt nickel. Um, He says, you know what, squatting on a Swiss ball, makes you really good at squatting on a Swiss ball, Mm -hmm. but it has nothing to do with making you a better hockey player in the sense of making you faster, more explosive or anything else of that nature. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, what I really respect about the strength coaches, uh, you know, of, of what you guys do is the transferability. Like what is the actual intention? What are you trying to get out of? And it doesn't really matter what you do. It's just that this is what, these are the changes that I actually want to see, you know? So, and, and, you know, I, this is a funny story. So I'm going to the Arnold's, uh, they have that big expo and seminar, Matt Nickel. He's in the car with me. So we're going down, we're going to present together. And, uh, he's showing me a, a video of him training some of his, uh, professional hockey players and they're doing the battling ropes. And I go to Matt, I go, Matt, really? I said, this is the stupidest thing. I have ever seen. I can't believe you're doing people giving these athletes, these professional athletes, battling ropes. What muscle are you working? And he stops and he looks at me and he gives me the normal Matt, look, Matt nickel look. And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, why, why, why are you doing it? He says, I'm not training any muscles. I'm training the energy system. I'm trying to basically, you know, change the energy system so that, you know, cause you know, you're on the ice 30 seconds, 40 seconds. So we're trying to change the actual biochemistry. And I went, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) That makes sense. I feel like a fool. (laughs) (laughs) And he just looks at me and he shakes his head. He says, oh, okay, yeah. But, I mean, it's just the intentionality, you know, and Matt has taken something, and a lot of people are going, you know, oh, I'm training the anterior deltoid and the biceps and the triceps and everything else, and Matt's like, no, you're not training any of that. There's better exercises for that. (laughs)
0: I'm going to finish this thing with the piece that I usually do about midway through, but I got so entranced by listening to your stories that uh, I I forgot that I had to do it. Um, You were born June 21st, right? Correct. Okay. So you are a Gemini 3. And as a Gemini 3, your purpose is to learn from the belief systems of others and from them to construct your own truth and sense of justice to become a leader through your ability to apply your wisdom and knowledge to any situation. Seriously? So what- Yep. A Ah. soul occupied with great ideas best performs small duties. Harriet Martineau. To handle the big things in life, we must first be able to take care of the everyday challenges. Jupiter or threes have the philosophical approach and the wisdom from experience to get ahead. Mercury is the masses, and when you combine with Jupiter, you've got a leader of people. These souls know how to take advantage of anything that comes their way. What uh, what book is that from? It's a book called The Day You Were Born by a woman named Linda Joyce. It combines astrology and numerology and Oh I'll tell That's you, right. the, the story for me was I, I used to have um, this saying taped at the top of my desktop back in the early 90s said something that, that Robert Kennedy said, that uh, or Ted Kennedy said, at Bobby Kennedy's funeral. Some men see things as they are and say, why? I dream things that never were and say, why not? It was my favorite saying. So I pick up this book uh, after my second divorce in New York City, and I'm reading through and I flip through I always liked astrology, so I flip through to Sagittarius, and I find Sag three, and it writes, re- reads my purpose, and I'm like, wow like to what you just said seriously and then my quote because it has a quote with everything is some men see things as they are and say oh no. yeah yeah so i go i'm buying this book. <laughs> I'm so for, buy that book yeah so for every podcast i always read that to the people i'm uh, that are my guests so i think oh my gosh. you've been doing Thank what you're you. supposed to do my friend
1: yeah you know it, it's funny because i'm a welder by trade so i used to build bridges and everything else of that nature uh and i actually became a welder um to make weight training equipment which which i also did but i just hated being on fire literally um <laughs> got burns all over me and stuff like that and uh it was very unhealthy like i mean i'm welding and then at night i'd be coughing up black shit and mm-hmm. you know everything else of that nature but uh it's a great uh, great trade learned a lot uh with doing that and working with the hands and, and building things and you know and when you build a bridge, you know, 150, 200 feet long, you know, with a number of other individuals, you know, those are, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's fulfilling in that, mm. in that way. So, yeah, I've always uh, tried to, you know, do different things. Um, you know, also a professional musician. When I was growing up, I was in, you know, in a family band and a number of other bands and everything else. So I got the creative side on that side too, but, what I'm doing here is, is the right thing. Um, And, and I think the big thing is just to show up with courage and just Mm -hmm. to do it. You know, I I have no idea on what I'm doing when I'm doing symposiums Um, and you, I know you've done it and, you know, there is no course, there is no seminar on it. There is no, uh, you know, application on that. We just put our passion into it, ask our friends to show up and try and, you know, do the best that we can, you know, especially in this, ever-changing evolution of information delivery. When I started in 1999, Mm -hmm. I had all the symposiums recorded and sent out all the VHS tapes. So people would just get giant boxes of VHS tapes. And that went to about uh, 2004. And then all of a sudden, it changed to DVDs. And then that basically stopped when Blockbuster went bankrupt uh, and closed. So then went to downloads had to learn that. So I'm doing all this work. So all those clips I do, you know, I don't job any of that out. I look at the clip and then I, you know, basically edit it and put in the captions and, you know, and I'm not super tech savvy, but I'm learning. And then downloads basically stopped and then it went on to online streaming. So I had to learn that and then had to learn, change all that and get on a different platform for, html5 which is so you can you know watch it on your phone you know um and now you know that's even starting to change because now it's gone into apps you know so literally in 20 years Mm. it's gone through four or five different manifestations of information delivery and you know yourself you know understanding you know how it actually works when i first did my symposiums you know, I used to have to mail and I would spend, you know, $50,000 on stamps and mailing and everything else. And my last symposium, you know, I, I did a mailing and, uh, I got one person to sign up. 67% of the people that signed up was through Instagram Mm -hmm. and I bought no ads. It was just all, you know, word of mouth marketing. So, Just learning, just growing, just developing, and and just trying to have fun and just trying to make a difference in the world. You know, clinically, you know, in the clinic, you know, I get the chance to do that every day. And then also, you know, uh, as far as... information and different perspectives and how to add on to that because everyone has a voice and now to be able to step up more and help uh, the profession strength training and, and personal training and actually even our professions uh they're going to be hurting through this time because people are afraid i have a number of patients that don't want to come in because you know they they have a fear you know mm-hmm. which is you know that be as it may that they that's where that's where they're at so
0: well, good on you, sir. You've been a leader, a thought leader, and a physical leader of the industry for a long time, and um, it's always been nice to bump into you where we've bumped into each other and kept in touch in different ways, so I was looking forward to this conversation, and it's Absolutely. my expectations for sure. Uh,
1: and I'll be, I'm starting out a podcast also, so I'm going to have you on my podcast too. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll try to keep up with you on good good stories i'm not sure i can pull it oh,
1: i think you got a couple there my friend
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have a great rest of your day Ken. it was uh, a pleasure having thanks you so on much. today it's Been an great. honor to be here thank you here thanks for joining us today on leave your mark i hope we've left a mark on you today and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.